the companies and organizations um, and areas of government that bring creatives in. I think they make more responsible decisions. I think they uh, bring more empathy uh, to the people that they serve or the users that they serve. Uh, and I think that they put more good out into the world. They don't add noise. Um, and I hope that uh, the people who leave the conference uh, in 2019 uh, feel empowered to, to take that seat and to bring their opinion, that their opinion in their work is valuable uh, from the outset of projects, from the outset of policy development, uh, from the outset of, of companies as they're being created. Um, uh, and a big part of empowering them to do that is, is to give them the skills that they need to be able to be in those rooms um, and have those conversations with people who are maybe not on the creative side of the fence. You're listening to Tickets, a podcast series featuring the visionaries, producers and operators behind some of the world's most exciting and innovative live experiences. Joining the dots between disciplines, Tickets seeks to find out what goes into bringing amazing ideas, companies and concepts to life. In this, our second season, we're exploring the future of education and how emerging forms of technology and entertainment are changing the ways we learn and interact. My name's Howard Gray and I'm your host. Over the last 10 years, Adobe's annual 99U conference has captured the imagination of creative thinkers from around the world through its two-day program of talks, workshops, and collaborations, featuring a who's who of both industry leaders and rising talent. And alongside the New York conference, 99U has now grown into a year-round online resource for building a creative career. Today on Tickets, I'm joined by Adobe's head of 99U, Andrea Rosen. In this conversation, we talk about the future of work how anybody can tap into their own creativity and where to find some hidden opportunities for creative innovation. Enjoy. Andrew, good afternoon. It's a lovely freezing cold Friday in New York City. We are in the studio in Flatiron. Thank you for joining me today. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, maybe let's just start off with, um, maybe for people who don't know, like, what is 99U? Sure. I can give you the long spiel, which I think I have pretty down now. I have uh, about 10 coffee meetings per day where I, where I repeat this. Um, so 99U actually started as a sister brand to the Behance platform, uh, where creatives can publish their portfolios uh, freely available uh, to find work, to find collaborators, to promote themselves. Uh, and the original intent behind it was this fascination point that our founder, Scott Belsky, had. Uh, Scott is now Chief Product Officer at Adobe, uh, also the founder of Behance. Um, both were acquired by Adobe Creative Cloud in 2012. Uh, and the original idea behind 99U was actually then called 99%, um, which was pulled from the Thomas Edison quote, uh, genius is, what is it, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. He was really interested in not just you know this kind of final product, which was really the trend among thought leaders at that time, but how ideas are executed, how people generate them, how they stay productive, how they stay motivated, uh, how they bring things to fruition, how they work with clients and collaborators and stakeholders to get buy-in, uh, how they measure success, how they go through an acquisition. He actually just wrote a book on, on the topic called The Messy Middle. Which I have a copy of the book at home. I'm halfway through. It is a oh really goodness. good book. 
So many yeah. good Belskyisms in it. Um, so he actually wrote a book at that point in time uh, called Making Ideas Happen, uh, which was a, a bestseller. Really interesting book, but very focused on this this topic of you know how does an idea go from an idea uh, to something, whether it's physical or realized in some other way in the world. Um, so 99% at the time uh, was very focused on that. They looked a lot at the process and philosophy of people who were working on businesses or creative projects or research projects. Uh, and since then, the, I'd say the only way it's really evolved past that is that we're just more focused on an exclusively creative audience now, and that's because we're, we're part of the Adobe Creative Cloud family. Uh, you can probably guess why the name changed, though. Uh, the, as legend has it, our founding editor, Jocelyn K. Gly, was uh, working out of the uh, Soho office that Behance used to occupy. Uh, and it was when Occupy Wall Street was going on. So she heard people marching down Broadway saying we are the 99% and realized <laughs> we may have to change the name. So 99U has kind of like been lost to history, what that U actually means. There was a period uh, where the tagline was uh, the missing curriculum. So we carry that spirit a little bit with us. It's almost like an academic endeavor, all the stuff that you may not learn in design school or when you're getting your MBA. Uh, or even on the job, but all those little uh, things in between the work that you're doing to help you do the work. Got it. So let, let's dive into the kind of components that make up the organization now. There's obviously the conference, uh, which is every May, mm -hmm. year number 11 coming up in 2019. But there's also a bunch of other things going on. Could you maybe kind of explain what else is happening kind of throughout the year? Yeah, so 99 you started as the conference itself um, and quickly thereafter uh, expanded into content. We still publish uh, weekly at uh, 99u.adobe.com, free articles, resources, and interviews all about the creative career. Uh, the conference is still a big, big focal point for us. Um, we now have a 1,000 people who join us every year at Lincoln Center. It always sells out, which is uh, such an honor for us. And uh, my job, having just taken it over about three years ago, um, is just not to screw that up. There's a lot of brand love for 99U, and it's a really helpful resource to the people who attend. It's something they look forward to every year as, as you know, a way to uh, recharge, refresh, uh, remotivate themselves, um, and focus on the work they want to do in the year ahead. So yeah, beyond uh, the conference and the content we produce, we also just developed a uh, series of events called 99U Salons. Uh, so we piloted a couple versions of that last year. Um, and what that we do with the salons is rather than uh, the way the conference runs, where we focus on a lot of different topics from a lot of different people across disciplines, uh, we focus on a singular topic relevant to the creative career. Uh, so last year, we hosted a really wonderful conversation with the illustrator John Bergerman uh, and the artist Lalus and Banjo, who's best known for uh, getting to paint Beyonce and her dancers in the Lemonade video. Uh, about uh, how they maintain their point of view as artists, as creators, when they work with big brands. And they include Starbucks, uh, Bulgari, uh, Apple stores, uh, some museum institutions as well. They've got a pretty impressive client list, uh, but they've got this very, very specific way that they approach their work and this very unique aesthetic uh, between the two of them. Uh, so we had a really candid conversation with them about uh, how, how they go about doing that when they say no to clients, um, when they say yes to clients, when they make concessions, how they decide to do that, uh, all the intricacies of billing and how to ask for money. Um, you know, it's, you know, money can be kind of a dirty word with creatives. I think what we've found uh, over the course of 99U's life is, you know, these topics that, you know, very purist creatives used to not want to discuss in a public fashion, uh, they're getting a lot more candid about and a lot more comfortable with. Um, uh, and we won't take credit for that, but we're happy to, to help enable that conversation. 
Uh, just yesterday, I had lunch with a friend, and he was flicking through a John Bergman book. I think a hundred creative ideas for everybody. It's really fun. He's wonderful. He just put out a children's book as well, which um, I, I assume my nieces aren't listening to podcasts, but I'm going to get one of them for, for Christmas. All right, sh- well, let's hope they're not listening. To <laughs> make it a surprise. Um, let's jump into the conference maybe a little bit more. I'd, I'd love to kind of hear more about like how does it all sort of shape up like the production of it when do you start putting it together what's the kind of creative process and the production process of of bringing this to life every may the thing that i think always surprises people about 99u is we're a really tiny team um we sit alongside behance they're still our sister brand uh, and our partner for a lot of what we do uh but we're just three full-time staff members it's myself uh, our creative director mark brooks uh, and our editor, Matt McHugh, and that's it. We have a uh, wonderful deputy editor, Emily Ludolph, who comes in and collaborates with us. Um, but our secret weapon is our production company, Preview Events. Um, and they're a, a studio based out of uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and uh, they've been working with us since long before I joined the team. Uh, their founder, Nikki Frankel, uh, is just such a pro and so great at pulling all the pieces together. And, you know, we sometimes do a bad cop, good cop thing where, you know, she's really great with working with venues and budgets and vendors and all of that. Um, so I have the luxurious position where I get to, you know, think about themes and curation. Uh, in partnerships, um, but preview events really brings a lot of the pieces together. Um, so that's that's our secret sauce, um, and I hope no other event organizers offer them a contract so big it takes them away from us because um, we really could not do what we do without them. Um, but we really, it's a year-round job for us. Um, it's a big endeavor because we're a small team. Um, it's something we're always, always focused on. So um, as soon as one year wraps, um, I take a weekend to recover. Um, I take a week to put everything in storage, and then we start again. So uh, it's a lot of conversations with different people. It's a lot of coffee meetings and lunch meetings. Uh, I try to attend as many events as possible. Um, I do have some downtime. Listen to a lot of podcasts, including Design Matters, 99% Invisible, uh, and just try to get out there and figure out what's next. You know, what are people thinking about and talking about? So there's a little bit of future predicting involved at that point where we've got to imagine what people are going to be thinking about in, you know, 11, 10, 9 months uh, from that point. Um, but yeah, with that, I think our, our theme for 2019 is, is uh, really appropriate. It's all about the creative future uh, and how we're going to be envisioning that. So whether uh, this next edition or maybe previous editions, what, what would someone expect if they were attending the conference? What, what does it kind of look like and what does the experience feel like? Uh, you know, we try to make it feel very intimate, even though it's a thousand people. Um, our creative director is a really big part of that. He creates a new visual identity every year. Um, he sequesters himself usually in Barcelona. He's a Spaniard uh, and puts something together uh, based on the theme that, that he and I work on together. Uh, so next year's is going to be all black and gold. For example, this past year we had this really interesting uh, gradient and these intersecting shapes that reflected the theme of Challenge Everything, which was our 2018 focus. Um, so yeah, I, I think what 99U brings is a, a level of attention to detail, especially visual detail, especially um, you know the, the candor among our speakers and how we curate them for that element um, that I don't think you can get in a lot of other places. Uh, we know that if we go too general, um, we don't really provide much value to our audience. Um, these are people who are incredibly busy. Um, they're often incredibly important within their organizations. Um, so to take time away, uh, often two, three days away from the office, uh, away from clients, away from their team, uh, to travel, uh, about 80% of our audience comes from outside of New York City, uh, to spend the money to be with us. We take that really seriously. Um, so for us, the experience is really paramount. Um, you know, it, 
the relationship does not end when they, you know, buy a ticket. Um, we really do uh, continually have a feedback loop with our audience to figure out, you know, what are their needs? What are their interests? How do we continue to improve um, to make that happen? Um, so with that, yeah, I think 99 U, we really do focus on those details. The curation of the, the speakers on our main stage is very high. Um, we have a series of uh, keynote talks that are all just 20 minutes a piece. So they're hyper focused on individual creative topics. Uh, we uh, host uh, an array of breakout sessions. I think they're going to be about two dozen next year. Um, not a small amount that are, uh, a, you know, an opportunity for attendees to get a little bit more hands-on in depth with specific frameworks, processes, philosophies of their host organizations. Uh, we host a few uh, networking events, including our kickoff party and our closing party, which is always at the Museum of Modern Art, Lobby and Sculpture Garden, uh, that allow attendees to, to get to know one another. So. Um, a big focus for me is, is how we better develop the community that attends 99U and keep them connected throughout the year and figure out more ways for them to connect when they're here with us in New York. Um, that, to me, is what's really special about the conferences I, I really love to attend um, are the people I meet and the connections I maintain, especially when it just happens really organically. Um, I think we've all been to really uncomfortable networking events that feel very transactional. So a goal for us is to set the tone and create the environment where people can make those connections. So it's not just about what's on the stage. In many cases, the people sitting in the audience are you know, just as qualified and just as interesting uh, and just as creative as the people we have speaking. So um, we really try to make sure we maximize um, you know, the, the time that we have with them so that they feel like they get a lot out of all elements of the experience. Uh, what are some of the common themes you've made maybe in the last sort of two or three years that the community are particularly interested in or kind of gravitating to things that are kind of coming up that people have got a kind of a keen interest in? This is where I'll look at my notes. Um, actually, our editor, Matt McHugh, uh, did some in-depth uh, thinking about the content we had produced and what people are, are most interested in and what themes have seemed really resonant over the past few years. Um, and yeah, those, those are, you know, the ability to do fulfilling work. Um, do you feel good about the work that you do? Do you feel like it represents you? Do you feel like it utilizes your skills and abilities and talents um, to their maximum potential? Um, the ability to do meaningful work, I think uh, increasingly uh, people, especially creatives, want to make some kind of impact. Uh, we interviewed two user experience designers recently who were rethinking what the voter ballot will look like. Uh, if you uh, have voted in an American election recently, I don't know if you're registered I'm, I'm here. I'm unfortunately not able to, but I have plenty of friends who, who do. Oh, my goodness. New York had uh, this funny two-page ballot with a perforation this year, and people didn't know to separate it. People missed you know, certain um, you know, uh, areas of the ballot they were supposed to fill out. It broke the scanners. I mean, the experience is broken, so to be able to apply that conceit to... Um, you know, and that skill set to something as important as, you know, people's, you know, ability and right to vote with ease and speed and efficiency um, is so interesting. So, you know, we talk to people who are thinking about sustainability. We talk to people who are thinking about social impact. We talk to people who are thinking about policy, uh, design of cities. Um, so that ability to do meaningful work comes up for us a lot as well. Um, Beyond that, um, making a fair and livable wage is huge. Like I said, money is um, you know, no longer a dirty word for a lot of creatives. Um, they're being a lot more uh, upfront about speaking about it, uh, sharing information with one another about how they negotiate, how they ask for money, what rates should be set at. Uh, we really believe ourselves in, in paying creatives for their work. Um, so often we do have to make concessions about what we can and cannot do at the conference if we go over budget, because uh, I, I never want to offer exposure in exchange for, for someone's creative uh, energy and time. 
Um, having a healthy relationship between work and non-work lives, um, this is a debate that we see constantly. There are some people who live and breathe their work. Um, they never walk away from it. I'm one of those people. Uh, but uh, there are some people who, who want to have a dividing line. Um, there was a great debate on Twitter recently uh, within the design community. Um, Carly Ayers, or Ayers, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing her name wrong, uh, stoked it by saying, you know, stop telling young designers that they have to have a side hustle. For some people, they want to have a division between their, their work lives and their personal lives. Um, and people cannot work all the time. And a lot of people cannot afford to do any work for free um, because they, they may, you know, have commitments to their family or home that they just, you know, cannot take time away from or they may be you know so burnt out by their work that they just don't want to go home and do something without pay so it stoked an interesting debate you know should we be thinking about work all the time are side hustles necessary uh, I think there's room for all perspectives you know not um, everybody needs to have the same work schedule um, but it's an interesting concept to, to keep exploring and I don't think there's an end answer, um, especially with all the ways that, that we're reachable now, um, by clients, by our partners, by our colleagues. Um, and one thing that comes up a lot too is, uh, how creatives collaborate with one another, whether it's with their teams, uh, their managers, uh, their founders, uh, uh, and clients as well. So fruitful collaborations is something that comes up a lot, um, we see more and more creatives who have a seat at the table. Design is not an afterthought in the way I think it used to be, uh, especially within the tech industry, especially within the marketing industry. Creatives are there uh, as part of the strategy process. And we see that with firms like Pentagram and Red Antler uh, and local projects who are very, very involved in strategy for the clients that they worked for. Uh, and their voices are you know, valued and heard and they're brought in for that unique perspective. Uh, so yeah, collaboration becomes ever more important. Um, you know, we talk about topics as granular as how to have an effective meeting. We also talk about how to provide and receive feedback. Uh, so all these little things, you know, I think we, we all know we need to think about, um, but we don't necessarily feel comfortable speaking with one another about it. Um, we're trying to just open more doors to, to have those conversations, especially with creatives. Um, cause often it's not what we all want to focus on. You know, we want to focus on the work. Yeah. I, I think that's fascinating. There's so much stuff in there and quite a few of those things you mentioned i think are kind of connected to the broader sort of future of work as things are changing so quickly maybe some of those things you brought up maybe weren't surfacing maybe 10 years ago let alone maybe even two or three years ago and now they seem to be kind of real things that people need to be seriously thinking about and talking about they just weren't kind of conversation points now and i think they're going to become more and more prevalent as kind of the collective model grows as people look at work-life balance in different ways as people start working remotely more as creatives get more of a seat at the table with kind of strategic conversations all these kind of things so it's fascinating um i'd, I'd love to kind of switch up just a, a little bit i think for some people the creative industries may, may be designed particularly but the creative industries quite more broadly can feel like a bit intimidating or a bit confusing like if you're if you're not a creative um how do you guys think about that how do you think about kind of creativity and and who is creative you know, broadly, and this isn't just, you know, to, to be all things to all people, I do think that we're seeing creativity in more roles than ever before. Um, you know, anyone who approaches their work creatively, we consider part of the 99U audience and we're here to serve. Uh, and a big reason for that is creativity is uniquely human. Uh, even people working on, you know, new technology, even people working in, say, banking or accounting or something we may not uh, classify as capital C creative, uh, can approach their work creatively. And what's more interesting is they've got something to offer people who may define themselves as capital C creative. So we believe a lot in lateral inspiration. Um, you know, I 
you know, am reticent to consider myself a creative. I'm, you know, a marketer by background, but uh, I can learn a lot from practice of design thinking, which came out of the design industry. How do I, you know, organize new ideas and new projects? How do I make sure I'm serving, you know, my, my end user, my audience uh, in the best way possible and not getting caught up in, you know, what's new and sexy and exciting or what I really want to do myself um, as a passion project. Um, so a lot of the conceits of, you know, creative industries, I think, are applicable to people who may not consider themselves creative. So there's a lot of lateral inspiration going that way. And there's a lot of lateral inspiration going the other way, too. Um, you know, someone who is a designer by trade and decides to um, start their own firm uh, as an independent creative uh, can learn a lot from someone who started a business before, even if it's not a creative firm. They can learn a lot from uh, the client side of things. They can learn a lot from someone about managing their finances and marketing their work. Um, hiring and firing and managing teams. Uh, there's a lot there. And we uh, hope that that conversation, you know, becomes a two-way street more and more and people start to share these ideas. Um, a big piece of what we're looking at with next year's conference theme, The Creative Future, is, you know, what happens when creatives, you know, are empowered to do these things, when they have a seat at the table, when they're taken seriously. Uh, and I really believe that the companies and organizations um, and areas of government that bring creatives in, I think they make more responsible decisions. I think they uh, bring more empathy uh, to the people that they serve or the users that they serve. Uh, and I think that they put more good out into the world. They don't add noise. Um, and I hope that uh, the people who leave the conference uh, in 2019 uh, feel empowered to, to take that seat and to bring their opinion, that their opinion in their work is valuable uh, from the outset of projects, from the outset of policy development, uh, from the outset of, of companies as they're being created. Um, uh, and a big part of empowering them to do that is, is to give them the skills that they need to be able to be in those rooms um, and have those conversations with people who are maybe not on the creative side of the fence. Mm, I really love that. Um uppercase C and lowercase C. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend a couple of months ago kind of around that and we were talking about design specifically and, and she mentioned, yeah, the uppercase D, capital D designer mm -hmm. and kind of lowercase D designer. I really like that way of thinking about things. Um, maybe uh, for somebody who's maybe in the lowercase or the uppercase, what recommendations would you have for someone maybe who's lowercase who wants to get started or doesn't even think they are creative at all? How how could they get started kind of flexing their creative muscles? What, what have you noticed are things that are good ways for someone to kind of dip their toe in starting to think about how they can utilize creativity in their work or maybe in side projects or or collaboration yeah i mean I, you know i think one thing that is commonly known is that good writers read a lot um and i think the same can be true of people who work in uh, other creative spaces too uh good visual designers um people who think about experience they expose themselves to a lot all day long i mean the the field of reference for some creatives that we interview or have speak at the conference, and I would count our creative director among them, is so broad and so interesting. Um, and the points of reference that they you know, have to share are things I would never think to uncover, places I would never think to look. Um, so uh, just giving yourself permission to explore and to look at more things, I think, uh, fuels you and inspires you uh, and gets you to start to see patterns, too. I mean, we're all kind of borrowing from one another. Uh, you know, certainly in the user experience field, definitely in the graphic design field, there are trends in design for a reason. Uh, somebody does something and somebody else borrows an element. Somebody else is inspired by that. 
Uh, and it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a great thing. I think it gives us all a common language um, to, uh, to you know, consider our, our choices around, whether it's what we read or what we consume or how we interact with things. Um, and that competition between designers to make things better, um, to make experiences smoother, I think has led to a much better experience. Uh, I know that I'm having in the world. Uh, I remember when, you know, websites were a lot less navigable and mobile apps were a lot more clunky. Uh, I remember when a lot of packaging design was really hideous. I think the pressure to, to bring design more to the forefront has um, you know, change the way we all experience the world. And I'm looking at this room, which is full of mid-century modern furniture, which is a trend, which, you know, who knows who started it. It's certainly, um, you know, something that you see springing up in a lot of different areas of interior design and architecture right now. Um, you know, th that's, that's changed so much. Uh, when you think about the trends in different industries, it's because everybody's borrowing from one another. Um, uh, and if you're not, you know, a capital C creative, I think exposing yourself to the things uh, will help kind of put these things together. It'll help you make sense of, of the world and why things look the way they look and why things feel the way they feel. Um, so just looking at more and looking around and asking other creatives what they're looking at, what they're reading uh, is a good starting point. Um, and beyond that, I think just exposing yourself to the creative process is a really interesting way to um, kind of demystify it. Uh, my first job, I'd say like, you know, really firmly in a creative industry was at, um, I think they're now a 90-year-old design publication called Interior Design Magazine, really venerable title uh, in the architecture and interior design space. Uh, and before I worked there, I thought like Crate and Barrel was like the height of luxury. I was in my early 20s and I had no concept. I, you know, was so unwilling to make any like aesthetic choices for my home. Like everything was beige. And Crate and Barrel is okay. Yeah. But there's other, there are other <laughs> no options. No knocking. It's there are other options out there. Um, but just being exposed to that was so interesting. I couldn't fathom why someone would spend $20,000 on a couch. And then... Uh, I started to, you know, bear witness to the creative process, how things are designed, what a CAD drawing is, you know, how things come together, why, you know, the design of a room, the design of a building is so important. Um, you know, the, the qualifications and the work and the passion of the people behind it. Um, and the same can be said of user experience design, the same can be said of graphic design, the same can be said of photography and music and filmmaking and writing. Um, that process, and once you expose yourself to it, I think gives you a lot more respect for it and I think really demystifies it. Um, you know, getting to work at Adobe has been really spectacular. The people who work there, they're literal magicians. I mean, the things that uh, they just previewed at this past Adobe Max, Adobe's big annual convention, were it, like nothing short of magic. We um, uh, have a, a mobile app coming out uh, next year called Project Gemini, uh, which was previewed on stage at Adobe Max. And it, you could simulate a watercolor brush. It's unbelievable. Um, so getting to see the, the actual work behind it rather than just the finished product, as someone who does not identify as a creative, it makes me want to be more creative. And it makes me have more empathy for the people who create. Um, uh, and it, yeah, just, it kind of breaks down, I think, that barrier that we have between, you know, people who we think have talent, people who we think are the creatives, and everybody on the other side of the fence who I think is a little afraid to, to breach it or thinks it's inaccessible to them. So just watching that process is amazing. Um, and there are, you know, videos everywhere, Twitch, YouTube, Adobe Live as well, uh, where you can watch people create in action. Uh, you can watch them do it in real time. You can watch them do it in time lapse. Uh, I like to sometimes sit behind our creative director and watch him work on his screen. He gets a little annoyed by it, but it's just, it's hypnotizing. Uh, and it really does, you know, make it seem a little bit less intimidating. To, yeah, to watch I think that, that, that kind of democratization is really interesting, right? So you mentioned, you mentioned Twitch and, um, and a bunch of the new Adobe products that are kind of enabling that with your 
live streaming something or just making something complex simple like the watercolor brush is amazing like i would not be thinking myself as a watercolor painter at all but maybe using those kind of tools i can suddenly start playing around with it and it leads me potentially into different directions that i may not have thought about before Absolutely. I mean, my big New Year's resolution for 2019 is to create more myself and expose myself to more tools and learn more. Um, so whether that will take the form of a hand lettering class or knitting or trying to get more comfortable with Adobe Illustrator, I don't know yet. But uh, uh, I find myself jealous of all the people who get to, to make uh, that, that sit around me at my office, that speak at the conference. Um, uh, they inspire me to to want to be able to make more myself and maybe uh, start to think of myself as a creative. So um, just exposing yourself is is really all that it takes, I think, to to catch that spark. So kind of on a related note, you mentioned the uh, the New York voting ballot as a, probably a good example. Where else um, have you seen some kind of interesting or surprising places that some some great work has come from that's piqued your interest, kind of maybe from the community or through the conference or or somewhere else more broadly? Yeah. Oh, I'm always really interested in what Lyft is doing. Um, we had one of their uh, product designers speak at 99U uh, this past year, Audrey Liu. Um, we've interviewed uh, their VP of design, Katie Dill, before as well. What they're doing is so fascinating. They're not just thinking about an app on your phone. They're thinking about design of cities in this way that's just, it's mind-blowing. I mean, you know, the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission was never really that thoughtful about the way that they structured things. You know, if you've ever, you know, had to get in a cab from LaGuardia or JFK, you know, it's a know. strange and I, broken process. I am aware of that process. Yes. Um, but they're <laughs> actually having conversations with, you know, city planners, with, you know, uh, management, uh, or, I, what's the term for it? I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're having conversations with city planners. They're having conversations with people who, you know, structure the traffic around airports, um, with transportation officials to figure out how to best serve those cities. Cause each city is so different. Um, and it changes and, you know, it needs to be served in a unique way. So that, that never occurred to me until we delved into this conversation with Katie in particular, which is that, uh, they're not just thinking about you using that app and then the uh, driver side of the app and what that looks like and leaving it at that. They're, they're really looking at all the ways in which you engage with the brand and with the service. Uh, and that extends um, so far beyond probably what she was able to disclose at that point. So that's a company I'm really excited to watch because uh, I think they're thinking about design and thinking about experience in this really, really um, wonderful and thorough way. Mm, I, I love that. That's, that's making me think about the... Um I think it's Clayton Christensen from Harvard, the uh, the concept he came up with of jobs to be done. And like the job to be done of Lyft is arguably to get you from A to B. But I guess if you kind of zoom out, it's mm -hmm. suddenly what's the job to be done for a driver? What's the job to be done for a fleet of cars? What's the job to be done for the environment, for the city? And suddenly when you kind of zoom out, there's this kind of enormous holistic ecosystem that they're working in. And it suddenly becomes something way, way beyond an app on my phone that gets me home after a night out or something so yeah it must be such an exciting time to be a designer in that space because i think you know the work you probably thought you would do you know while you were in university or in your first job is probably so different now um and the way they get to stretch is so fascinating uh and i, I mentioned um uh, design firms that do a lot of strategy work i think what red antler does is just um absolutely brilliant as well in that uh you know they, they've made brands you know they you know 
I think could be pigeonholed as a design firm. But, you know, when it comes to brands like Allbirds and Casper, I mean, without their strategic work, without their thinking, without their aesthetic, uh, you know, who knows if those brands would be where they are right now and who knows if they'd be so top of mind. So uh, it's really interesting to watch. Um, my boyfriend is actually a, an art director himself and graphic designer. Uh, so, and I, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm so jealous because the things he gets to shape and the avenues he gets to explore and the conversations he gets to be a part of, those are expanding and expanding and expanding. So, um, you know, no promises in terms of what the job market holds, but um, I think it's a pretty exciting time to be a designer, especially if you're thinking about experience, especially if you're thinking about broader strategy um, and how design impacts that because it's becoming ever more important. I had a conversation with someone last night about Red Antler actually, and we were we were maybe pontificating: is there is there a kind of an accelerator program that they end up building, where they're or an incubator where they could almost incubate their own brands eventually? You know, they're they're known for doing kind of design work and brand strategy for working with entrepreneurs who've already got a brand, but will there be a point where they're kind of incubating their own or kind of running kind of programs out of a kind of Y Combinator or a Techstars for kind of direct to consumer brands? I think it's really really fascinating. I'm interested to see kind of what happens there in the next few years, and like you say. With designers getting more involved in broader brand strategy, it sounds like that's likely that that could manifest in the near future. So I'm, I'm really interested to see where that that all goes. Yeah, um, the notion of creative incubators and accelerators, I think, is something that we, we see in New York a lot now. Um, I'm sure it's on the rise in other cities too. New York, you know, when Silicon Alley kind of first, you know, came up, um, it was very tech product focused. Uh, I loved having conversations with and seeing the work of the. The folks that come out of incubators like uh, New Inc. and New Lab, uh, ADO, which is a BMW mini run space out of Greenpoint, uh, also has an incubator on site. Uh, they're doing just fascinating work. Um, and it's so exciting to see people support creativity and celebrate it and help enable it to uh, make money so people can make a living off of it. Uh, so that's been really refreshing and wonderful to see. And it's especially wonderful to see uh, big companies backing these, these incubators and allowing for uh, that that growth to happen and that exploration to happen. So I hope we keep seeing more of that, and I hope you know there are more and more ways for for creatives to to do the work that they do without a lot of constraints. Uh, let's zoom back into the conference a little bit. I'd love to um, hear maybe a few of your favorite ninety nine U talks, whether whether keynotes or from breakout sessions, or, or maybe even just conversations that have kind of occurred. Uh, through your time at the conference, are there, are there a few kind of highlights that come to mind? I can't, I can't pick one. Um, you can pick a few. Pick. <laughs> it's like picking a favorite child. I, I love them all. <laughs> everyone brings such a different element, and everyone has such a unique story. And I think what makes 99U Talk special is that they are very much about the people delivering them. No one is there speaking on behalf of a brand or on behalf of a client. Uh, you know, these are personal stories. This is how these individuals approach their work uh, and the insights that they have to, to convey to the audience. So. Um, because of that, I think they, they all feel very unique. Um, but I can tell you something that, that resonated with a really broad audience uh, over the past few years. Um, and I would put uh, Natasha Jen's uh, talk at the top of that list. Um, she's a partner at Pentagram. She gave a fabulous talk called Design Thinking is Bullshit, which I love because it stoked so much debate and conversation. Uh, and I love someone who comes in with a very specific perspective that might be a little controversial. Uh, and she absolutely did that with design thinking. And her you know, thesis was that the definition has become so broad, all it really means to a lot of people now is post-its. Uh, and she was <laughs> arguing for a return of you know, the design school style uh, critique rather than the design thinking process. Uh, 
because at its core, you know, she was arguing that all it really is is just empathy. It's just empathy. And, you know, that's not really a framework to build strategy around. And she approaches her work and has brought that element to Pentagram in a very different way than uh, than a lot of people who, who tout design thinking might be. Um, so that was fantastic, just in its, you know, resolute attitude and uh, in its really interesting perspective. I learned so much from hearing her speak. Um, I'm also really interested in creatives who are, you know, very honest about uh, the work that they do and, uh, you know, taking away the, the, the gloss of perfection. Um, Adam J. Kurtz, the, the illustrator and author, gave a fantastic talk uh, this past year in 2018 uh, called Perfect Isn't Better, uh, which in addition to being very funny, was also just so refreshingly frank about the business of being creative, how he protects his IP, how he thinks about his work, how he produces at the scale that he does. Uh, and he's had such a unique path into what he does now, a unique path to success. Um, but it's something I, I took so much away from as someone who, you know, work isn't, I'm not an independent creative. I work in-house at Adobe. Um, it's a big public company. Um, but it was really special to, to hear him speak about, about his work and uh, how he approaches it. Uh, and by the same term, Debbie Millman, the, the host of Design Matters and the chair at SBA, uh, gave a wonderful talk about uh, her creative career and uh, a lot of, you know, starts and stops and how it's gone along the journey. Uh, it's called Everything Worthwhile Takes Time. Uh, and it's nice to hear, uh, as someone who never made a 30 under 30 list, uh, hmm. it, it's nice to hear that, you know, m my best work doesn't have to come when I'm young. I don't have to achieve a certain level of success at a certain point. In fact, uh, some of the best work um, is probably ahead of me. Uh, and I think everyone really uh, took away a lot from that, no matter their role. Um, and on the business end of things, we've had some great talks um, from different leaders. Um, one that was really special from this past year in 2018 was one from the VP of product at Netflix, Todd Yellen. Uh, it was called Create a Culture of Iconoclasts. And it's all about Todd's management style, which is so unique and so special. He makes everybody raise their hand in meetings so that the loudest voice in the room can't control the conversation. Um, he believes that you know good ideas come from everywhere, but in a genuine way, not in a bullshit way and uh, really brings that to the way that he manages and structures the organization at Netflix. Um, and it gives you know designers a big voice within the company, and it gives creatives a big voice within the company. Um, and as a leader, you know his theory is to set up the structure and then get out of their way. And I think that's a really good message for, for anyone to hear, whether you are yourself leading a team or you hope to someday, uh, or you're just managing yourself. It's a really nice way to, to frame the way that we work together. Yeah, I, I love I love all those examples. And I think uh, what I was hearing as a, as a kind of theme coming out is that kind of maybe demystifying and people being frank and open and vulnerable and sharing their process and sharing their, the, the struggles. It kind of reminds me of Scott's talk, which became a book. I didn't realize at the time, but yeah. I went to Creative Mornings a few blocks down the street from here back in February, I think it was. And it was the talk called The Messy Middle. And it was him being very open about, you know, all the screw ups he made running Behance and the things that went wrong and the challenges and the pain that's involved in the, the middle of a project. And I, I love that talk because it was so honest and so frank. And you could see lots of people in the audience saying, oh, not just me then. Like, yeah. oh, it's, it can actually happen to anybody. And I think I suppose that uh, insight led to the led to the book. And I think, yeah, I'm seeing lots more people being far more open about their process, open about how they feel about things, the challenges of trying to do good work or just not having to make stuff perfect, you know, doing it good enough and getting it out of the door and getting people to look at stuff. So I, I feel like that kind of demystification is, is great that it's happening. Because yeah. I think a little while ago, for whatever reason, we, we more broadly just didn't 
want to share this kind of stuff. And yeah. it, it means that things get democratized, become more open, more collaborative. And I think that's where more good work can come from. I always joke that our toughest speakers are artists and marketers because uh, they're very used to presenting a certain kind of talk. There's the artist talk, which is here's a tour of some work that I've done. It's all great. It all means this. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, and the marketer talk, which is very, you know, uh, challenge, solution, results oriented. Everything came together. Every failure, you know, was so fortuitous and we learned from it. And, you know, we came out with this perfect result that, you know, had this kind of impact on the market and it was, you know, effective in this way. And here's the ROI and, you know, I'll collect my can lion now. And <laughs> I, I think, you know, from our perspective, um, we wind up doing more coaching with artists and marketers because it is a challenge to get them to be a little bit more vulnerable on the stage and to uh, be a little bit more personal as well and talk about process and talk about doubt and talk about, you know, what happens when things don't work out. And it isn't for the best, you know, it, it sets them back or it becomes a, a real challenge or a real issue. Certainly every mistake we make gets us to where we are. But I think there's this, you know, unfortunate, you know, tech bro phenomenon of thinking about failure as this like, you know, cool rock star thing that gets us where we need to go. And I think that's really repellent to a lot of people. Um, I think it's really repellent to people who, you know, want to put on, you know, a certain kind of face uh, in the work that they do, or, you know, can't really afford to, <laughs> to fail or, you know, to not make an income for a period. Um, it's alienating. And I, I like the idea of having more conversations and having more perspectives. There is no right way to work. There is no right way to go about your career. Everyone's situation is different. Everyone's conditions are different. Um, you know, I was very lucky to, you know, have parents that supported me when I started out. So I was able to, you know, do the unpaid internship circuit in uh, New York media as I was starting out my career. Not everybody has that opportunity. So uh, when we think about who we bring to the stage, we're not just looking for, you know, diversity on a surface level when it comes to gender and race. We are thinking about that, but we're also thinking about, you know, are people coming from different backgrounds and different pathways um, and what insights might they have that somebody else can pull from? Or what, you know, insights might they have that someone who identifies with them very closely can pull from? Uh, so, you know, for us, that that's pretty paramount as well. Um, it's not one size fits all. Everybody has a different approach to their career. There is no one definition of success. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It feels, it feels like a nice time to kind of move in towards thinking about this year's theme and talking about that a little bit more. You mentioned it kind of towards the beginning. Um, can you maybe explain a little bit more behind it and kind of what, and why now? Like, What was the reason for thinking about this theme as being the thing that would hold... Uh, the conference for, for 2019? Uh, so there are two things that inspired it. One was um, a Medium post that Scott Belsky wrote when he returned to Adobe as chief product officer. Uh, he spent a few years uh, working in the venture capital world and still consulting for, for the company, uh, but he came back in a full-time capacity uh, this year, which I'm thrilled about. Um, it's like, you know, having, having our dad back. <laughs> uh, he's such a wonderful advocate for the brand within the company um, and brings so many great ideas. Uh, he wrote a Medium post um, about why he made the decision. You know, he really, he can do whatever he wants. You know, he, uh, you know, had a company that was acquired. He's respected as an author and an investor. Uh, but he chose to come back because he believes that creativity is uniquely human and he believes that it's future-proof. And he believes that uh, Adobe can create tools to just enable people to be able to do more and promote their work better and do things more fluidly and efficiently. Uh, and that was his reasoning for coming back. So um, the piece I took from that was was that creativity is future-proof and that it is human. Um, I've, I've been to a lot of events and panels and 
you know, downloaded white papers about the future of creativity, the future of business. And it's often like kind of scary. It's, you know, if you're not on the VR train, you're going to be out of a job in three years. And then VR kind of fades into the background. Or, you know, if you're not thinking about cryptocurrency right now and how you do your e-commerce, you know, your company's going to fail. And then that kind of fades back as I thought, well. I thought we'd do an entire podcast episode without crypto getting mentioned, but we failed. We failed. <laughs> it was going to come up eventually. I still don't really understand how it works. But yeah, I'm often, I often feel like it's scare tactics. Um, so the second thing that inspired it was um, I was... Uh, in upstate New York, and I went to like one of those like antique shops that kind of caters to New Yorkers who are in upstate New York. Uh, and I didn't really want to buy anything big, so I uh, was traveling in a small sob with not a lot of trunk space. Um, but I wanted to get something, so I bought uh, a little pin uh, from the 1939 World's Fair. And you've probably seen this before. It says, I have seen the future. And I just really love that. And I was thinking a lot about retrofuturism and this optimism people used to have for the future and this excitement for what was to come. And we're at this place now um, that's kind of been bubbling up and probably is hitting its its peak now where I, I think we're all afraid of the future. You know, the world feels like it's, it's literally on fire. Uh, it sometimes feels like there's no adult in charge. And these companies that at once seem like kind of cool, renegade firms that were going to change the way we think and work and socialize, have made decisions that feel irresponsible and have endangered us. And they don't seem to be taking accountability for it. And it's upsetting. And it makes me nervous because I don't feel like I've got any power. And I think a lot of creatives feel that way, especially. It doesn't feel like there are enough creatives who are central to uh, decisions as they're being made, or they're not being heard when they do voice their concerns. But as I said, I think the companies that bring creatives in earlier um, as they develop and take their opinion seriously, I think they show more empathy. I think they show more consideration for humans, not just users, not just audience, not just readers, but humans. Uh, and I think that they make the world literally a more beautiful place um, rather than an uglier place with more noise. Uh, so that's what we're hoping. It's a little lofty, um, but I think the specifics will really come into place with the incredible speakers that we have uh, who will be on the main stage and breakout sessions and the people in the room, too, who are just so special and thoughtful and talented um, on their own uh, to, to really think about what is a future we want to see and how can creatives help, help shape that. Um, that's what I really hope to, to have happen is an optimism, not, not fear for the future uh, coming out of uh, 1990-2019. So if we think about um, maybe other ideas more broadly for next year, uh, we're recording this right at the end of November, so coming up to the holiday season. So thinking about next year, what what other kind of technologies, ideas, events, arts, any anything that's kind of whether it's in the Adobe realm or further out, what, what's got you excited, or what are you what are you fascinated by right now? Ooh, I feel like I'm like I said, I'm really excited about uh, a lot of creative incubators who are enabling uh, independent artists or firms to to do the work that they do and helping them make the connections to make that a business or get it off the ground. Um, so with that, yeah, I'm looking a lot to New Inc, New Lab, ADO, a lot of folks in New York who are, who are making that possible. Um, I'm also really interested in how you know independent makers are being empowered now. Um, certainly, we saw a lot of that probably in the early aughts with Etsy, but I think we're seeing that in different ways now. Independent creators are really 
um, able to make a business out of their work in a different way. And I would put Adam J. Kurtz in that camp as someone who I really admire in the way that he defends his intellectual property uh, and thinks about business. Um, and one event that I always look to to get a sense of who's making exciting work and has a cool perspective on it is XOXO Festival out in Portland. Uh, they just have a really interesting community and really interesting curation. And the people they bring together and the stories that they get out of them is fascinating. And I'm always uh, looking to them and always jealous of the lineup that they have. Um, apart from that, you know, like I said, new technology is something that I'm always a little reticent to jump onto. I think we've seen things come and go. I think. Often we're being told that something is very, very important and then it just gets used for, you know, a soap commercial. It just happens to be in, in virtual reality. Uh, so I never want to, you know, hook on to any one thing too, too much. Um, but I would say one thing that I am interested in is um, augmented reality, uh, simply because I think it doesn't isolate you in the same way that technology like VR does. You're still part of your environment. In fact, you're interacting with it even more and it still feels like there's a very human touch to what goes on there. So I'm really interested in the artists that are leveraging it right now. Um, one is a friend of mine, Gabe Barcia Colombo, uh, who was just featured at uh, an exhibition Adobe did in San Francisco called Festival the Impossible. And he's been working with new technology for a long time, but what he does with AR is just so cool and bizarre and dreamlike and just has, I think, opened my eyes to to what's possible with it, with that technology in a way that doesn't pull you away from the real world and in a way that doesn't uh, pull you away from, from other people. We'll be back next time with another edition of Tickets. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review or a rating via your preferred podcast provider or just tell a friend. And if you have any questions on this episode or suggestions for new ones, please drop me a line. Just head over to howardgray.net, that's gray with an A, forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>